Dali. Um, one of these days we need to do a <laughs> podcast intro that doesn't involve me singing or you trying to stitch me up with Miss Dolly. Um, I don't think my... we do. I don't Today think is do. not I... that day. Throughout this lockdown, whilst I'm in control of what I can call you on this, this uh, on Zencaster, um, I we will be starting with a song and you have to sing it. Lovely. Good. All right. Well, no, well... I would have. Most people would have gone <laughs> nine to five. You went. Good golly, Miss Dolly. Which was that, Little Richard? Uh, yeah. Why not? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's interesting. Interesting take. I love the fact <laughs> that we're uh, ten. Is this episode ten? Yeah. Holy sugar snaps! Episode ten, uh, oh. and yeah. Well, we should have had a little fanfare. Um, happy decade, my friend. Happy decade <laughs> to you too. Um, but I love the fact that you're you're still naive enough to ask me. Was that little Richard? <laughs> yeah of course of course it is mate yeah um why not <laughs> and if it's not then one of our lovely listeners will get in touch so please do thank you for that um, very true hello hello dear listener welcome to um another seamless start to a podcast <laughs> introduction um my name's fitz and somewhere over the rainbow is mr turner how are you mate i'm very well thank you my friend how are you Living the dream. If if the dream is to uh, hurt your neck and shoulder simultaneously, uh, when what what do you think I was doing, by the way, when I when I hurt myself? I've hurt myself, dear listener. Uh, what what do you imagine I was I was up to in my youth? Your, your neck and shoulder. Yeah. Uh, and you're thirty four. Bear, bear in mind how young and cool I am. So thirty four and not. So I'm gonna maybe. <laughs> Maybe helping your father-in-law lift a TV. Oh, I wish it was that's as like, glamorous like as a, that. It's like a middle-aged kind of task, that isn't it? <laughs> I wish it was as glamorous as that, mate. No, no, I uh, literally was putting my shoe on uh, as I went to take the dog out, and uh, I put my shoe on and went, "Oh, there we go. That's that's painful." Um, and that's me now. Um, old Fitz is gone, and now painful, creaky bones Fitz is here in his place. <laughs> Uh, and oh. I'm fine with the new world, mate. Not a problem at all. Not a problem <laughs> hello, at all. hello, creaky bones, Fitz. Uh, hello. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> oh dear, it's not nice to be here, but it is nice to be here. It's nice to if be you here. Learn, if, you. if you learn the saxophone, that could be your name. <laughs> creaky bone Fitz. Creaky bone Fitz. <laughs> nice, good. Yeah, that'd be good. That's, yeah. that, that was very witty for you, mate. I'm quite impressed. Nice work. Thanks very much. Um, yes, but other than that, I'm all right. Uh, by the time this one goes out, I will have done my first ever virtual gig, um, which, as we record, is in just a few hours' time. Um, I mean, I would say that I've forgotten how to be comedy. Um, so that's that's <laughs> happened in good time. Um, really buzzing for it, to be honest, mate. Really looking forward to it. Sounds it. Sounds it. Um, and where, cause I'm, I'm going to watch that. Um, and can, can you watch it like retrospectively? Say if I missed it, could a listener go back and watch it? Good question. One to which I will f- try and find the answer. I'm not sure. Um, but I reckon you can probably record a bit of it. Can you do screen record? I mean, you know, there's, there's licensing, rights a plenty licensing questions are plenty there but if i give you permission <laughs> to record me and we play a little bit on the pod if it goes well that could work yeah let's see what happens yeah why yeah. not nice well you're yeah. technical director so i'll give you the idea you make it happen and um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be good to go i'm sure yeah yeah absolutely yeah thanks for that um, absolute good. pleasure thank thanks to you mate for your hard work as always good 
couldn't think of anything better than to sit at home and listen to you even more than I already did. Oh, yeah. You'll get to see me, though, I think. I think the webcam thing is a, a thing, so, yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, that'll be a delight. And yeah. and you you know that I'm in pain, so every every word and every movement is, is genuine agony. So yeah, that's very true, actually. A yeah. little bit of joy from that. Might be worth my while tuning in, eh? Damn straight. <laughs> um, so, La Decima, we are here, episode 10. Um, it's uh, what, a, what a belter of an episode. And, you know, it's almost like we planned to have an absolute humdinger of a guest on. Um, but, but it's it's the, the luck of the draw. It's how it's worked out. And uh, I'm, I'm really pleased with, with the episode that we had. Yeah, I am. I, I learned so much. Um, it very quickly, this episode became a... Right. What can we teach Sam, didn't it? It did. And um, so the the episode that you're about to listen to, again, sure you'll have probably seen the um, detailed notes that we put up every week. Um, but this uh, the guest this week is none other than Mark Olver. Now, if you know comedy, uh, you will know Mark Olver. Uh, he is a, a fantastic uh, compare, fantastic comedian. And he does loads and loads of work doing things like TV warm up, which we discuss um, during the interview. It's fascinating it was absolutely fascinating to kind of speak to mark obviously i i know him but it's been a little while since since we've spoken so it was really nice to catch up with him and mark was i mean a he's one of the most interesting people uh, i think i've ever met which is really cool um but b from a comedy perspective he has got some stories to tell and he really does yeah yeah and what a lovely guy you know really really lovely and he's kind of got a bit of a reputation uh on the circuit for being really willing and able to help young comics younger comics as they start to take their first steps and um i mean he echoed that by giving you some really good advice didn't he he really did yeah and it kind of seemed to come in thick and full i've had i've got so much homework this week now um from him which you know i'm very thankful for don't get me wrong um but yeah it was it was a brilliant brilliant chat and um i i really do hope to actually meet him one day he's he's got like you say he's got some great stories um some of which you know if if people out there like uh name drops then you know he's very very good friends with the likes of russell howard and john richardson as he used to live with them um so there there is a little bit in this episode for everybody um it's it's a great great conversation Definitely. Yeah. And um, what's one of the really interesting things that we discuss is the um, project that he he's, I guess he founded a couple of years ago called Belly Laughs. And stick around at the end of the episode because we're going to share some uh, exclusive news about mm-hmm. um, a, a similar event that might be coming to a online space near you very soon so um I, I don't think i could be any more cryptic without being a, any more annoying um so uh yeah st- stick around uh, I, I love this episode i think it was an absolute banger and uh yeah we'll, we'll tell you more on the other side that we will see you in a bit au revoir <laughs> Uh, an absolute treat for us uh, this week no doubt about it and um, we're joined by mark olver now uh, mark's one of the first people i met uh, first friends i made in the world of comedy um a fantastic com- compare fantastic comic uh, we mentioned him in the uh, compare episode a couple of weeks ago a lot of people have been quite busy during lockdown but uh, I, I think few have probably been busier than mark um anyway without any further ado i'd love to introduce mark to sam hello mark uh, how are you well do you know what i was all right but now i am absolutely 
gobsmacked and annoyed that I was not invited to do the compare episode. What? <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, the, it's it's a little bit of a pattern emerging, but what happens is we sometimes start talking. So we did we did an episode a few weeks ago, which was um, initially musical inspirations. That then turned into our kind of dream band, um, and then we started um, doing kind of uh, a comedy night, and then it turned into a conversation about compare. So. Uh, had we invited anyone, I promise you, you would have been right at the oh, top of the list. So um, it, was, it wasn't. It wasn't a planned compare episode. That exactly. I oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I, I, I put my the glimpse behind the magician's I, cloth here. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, well, that's that's kind of how we how we first met, actually, isn't it? Um, through through you you comparing. But how uh, how are things going? How's how's lockdown for you? Do you know what? It's um, it's okay. It's definitely up and down. I don't trust anyone who answers that <laughs> question without a question mark at the end. So when someone <laughs> says, how are you? I trust people who go, I'm all right. And even no. <laughs> when they're not all right, they go, you're not great. Because I think only a sociopath would go, yeah, I'm great, actually. Yeah, it's all brilliant. <laughs> Because we are in a global pandemic. We are in um, an absolutely unique uh, experience. And the fact of the matter is, even if a unique experience is an amazing experience, you are still going, yeah, it's all right. I'm a big fan of uh, leaning into the in- uncertainty. I think you're right. I think that's uh, that. In many ways, that's all we can do. And um, you know, Sam, Sam, I'm sure you won't mind me sharing. Sam, Sam's one of the. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you refer to it? A golden ticket winner with your um, tic- uh, your letter for twelve weeks of self isolation. Yeah. yeah, that was it. Yeah, like like Willy Wonka's factory. I got a golden ticket that says I have to stay inside for twelve weeks. Um, oh, so, yeah, yeah, one of those lucky people that that can't leave the the house. Um, unfortunately. Yeah, so I've got Crohn's, so I'm on like a immunosuppressant medication for that, and um, means if I get it, uh, it will be bad. Um, uh, so yeah, it's it is what it is. Um, but you've got to make the best of it, I think, haven't you? Like I'm trying and really badly learning piano, um, but it and also trying to be a comedian, which um, is is I think harder than learning the piano. I've got to admit. Yeah, well, no, I, it's not the easiest thing. <laughs> no, no. Uh, um, in- interestingly, if if I may, so that's actually um, you, uh, you may not remember, Mark, but uh, blimey, eight nine years ago when I literally first started, there was a uh, a sport relief or comic relief thing at Comedia um, where you very kindly offered advice to people before uh, a live show. Do you, do you remember that by any chance? I do. I um I did my um essentially hour long version of a comedy course. <laughs> you did and um it was it was brilliant you know i i saw i found uh i found the footage of that uh the other day and as you will find out sam if you if you get into comedy uh your first gig uh or early gigs will be very very different to how you uh how you are a bit later on down the line that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> i can well imagine mate i can well imagine um so uh, i mean i guess what one of the uh 
best things perhaps to do, Mark, if it's all right, would be to, if, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about kind of how you got into comedy and uh, tell tell our listeners a little bit about you, if, if, if that's all right. Yeah, shall I do, um, shall I start from the beginning and go chronological up to now? <laughs> that, would be, that would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> um, because Sam yeah. is the musician here, um, <laughs> Sam can look after the timing of this. Uh, Sam, I'll try and do mm. it in uh, 90 seconds or less. Are you all right with that? Wow. I can work with that, yeah. Sure. <laughs> I've been gigging for 22 years. Uh, it'll be 22 years in October. Um, and I reckon I can do the whole thing uh, in uh, in 90 seconds or less. Amazing. Um, well, look, I'm going to start the stopwatch and I'm going to tell you when to go <laughs> and we'll do this live. <laughs> uh, right, I am ready. Uh, so tell us your life story in comedy, Mark. Uh, go. So I was always just a massive comedy nerd, uh, right from the age of like 11 or 12, loved stand-up, went to university, graduated from university, went to see loads of gigs, didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. And then about a year or so after uh, graduating from university, I started gigging. I, I knew at nights in Bristol, over my nights in Bristol. Coincidentally, and quite handily for me, from a friendship point of view, uh, I would, my first ever gig was with Russell Howard. Uh, we became best mates. And then, frankly, from there, you just build and build and build. Uh, you do slightly longer gigs. You learn on stage. You do as many gigs as possible. I got into comparing quite early, and I compared as much as possible uh, while having a full-time job. Um, and then uh, I got into TV warm-up in 2004. Um, and TV warm-up is a bit like comparing, but uh, the skills are slightly different. It pays more. Um, and then gradually, uh, I've just got more and more TV warm-up for shows like Deal or No Deal, and Have I Got News For You, and Would I Lie To You, and 8 Out Of 10 Caps. Um, how long have I got left? You are at 1 minute 14. So oh, 15 look at seconds. That. So I've got about 15 seconds left. Um, and I've just had a really <laughs> bloody lovely career about March this year, and it all imploded. The end. <laughs> That's well, you know um, that ended bang on one minute 28. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. For me, for me, it's all about gigging as often as possible. It's all about working. It's all about getting on stage, whether it's uh, doing stand-up, whether it's comparing, whether it's doing warm-up. Do you know what? I imagine it's the same for music as well. Stage time is one of the most important things, I think, about being uh, a stand-up and being a creative in any way, whether it's writing, uh, it's just doing it, really. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely, one of the um, one of the first things that certainly I learned in in comedy, I guess, was you know you can sit in a room and you can write and you can create jokes, but actually getting out there and, and telling them and like you say, for any creatives, I guess it's the same uh, is is the only way really that you can can improve. So yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. And um, you you mentioned something really interesting, which uh, I know is is an absolute passion of yours, which, uh, well, of course, the Bristol comedy scene. Uh, now, I, I don't live in Bath anymore, but lived there for kind of 10, 11 years. So that was the Bath and Bristol comedy scene was my first kind of foray into to the world of comedy at all. And I mean, how, how, how do you think the scene is at the moment, excluding the current climate, obviously, before that? <laughs> do you know what? It's 
fine. Uh, I think the the Bristol comedy scene is kind of emblematic of uh, the comedy scene all over the country at the moment, which is there are some brilliant gigs, some brilliant professional gigs like the Comedy Store, the Stand, uh, the Glee Clubs, the Comedias. They're amazing clubs. Um, And there's a lot of brilliant new material nights. There's a lot of brilliant uh, open mic nights. There's some amazing gigs. It's not always easy nowadays to make a living from comedy because there are more comedians than there ever were uh, and there are fewer gigs than there were maybe 10 years or or so. So the great gigs keep running. Um, Sometimes the smaller gigs, unfortunately, have to fold. But there's a lot of brilliant new acts. There's a lot of brilliant people coming up. I just hope they have the opportunities that I had to kind of basically make a living from it, really. Yeah, for sure. I can I can only imagine how like how tough it is to to kind of break through. But once you're there, um, it, it's got to be. It was so. You said you're in full time employment. How was the leap from full time employment to to kind of full time comedy? Do you know what it was? It was okay because what I had to do, I had to give up the job. Uh, because I was doing so many gigs and I was kind of, I I spent about 18 months or so probably having about four hours sleep a night and traveling, I don't know, 50,000 miles a year genuinely because I was coming back Mm -hmm. after every gig wherever I was to go into work the next day. And so although the, luckily I wasn't ridiculously well paid in my job, it was a lovely job, but it, um, I was a careers advisor. So it wasn't as if I was, a uh, investment banker or someone who works in marketing. <laughs> um, so at the end, it was just the point of going, well, I can't really keep doing the gigs that I'm doing and work. And frankly, uh, I'm, I'm not very good at mornings. So that was the thing. That, uh, <laughs> that's that's amazing. And um, so you you were a careers advisor. When when did you take the leap, as it were? Uh, Two thousand and four. So I did a um, a package show in Edinburgh, uh, and basically very quickly the Edinburgh Festival. The whole of August. Um, it's known for hour long Edinburgh shows. It's known for those sorts of things. But what you do is, the first time you usually go up to Edinburgh, you tend to do what they call a package show, which is three or four comics on one show. Uh, for the whole month and I was offered one of those in 2004 Um, and because that meant being away for the whole of September it meant that I uh, I couldn't work and so I had to give up the job to go up to Edinburgh and then never came back nice and that's amazing it's it's often you know you've kind of almost been forced into it but clearly it's what a, what a great decision uh what a great decision it was so um early days then because i'm again uh, like yourself i i was always a bit of a kind of comedy nerd i've, I've always enjoyed stand-up um who who did you look at in terms of uh, acts that were either on the circuit that you knew or, or didn't know and were, did you have anyone that was an inspiration to you Oh, I, I had a slight, well, no, it's it's a bit of a weird one because I had a slightly unusual comedy education is that my favourite comics were American comics of the 1950s and 60s. So oh, wow. um, although I although I liked, because I'm 45 and so I got into stand-up when uh, sort of I was about 10 or 11. So, you know, I kind of 
when I was old enough to get into Bill Hicks and people like that. Um, but even before then, I was into Lenny Bruce and uh, Mort Sahl and Bob Newhart and uh, Woody Allen's early stand-up and, uh, and stuff like that. And actually, it's a, a piece of advice that I've given new acts before. And uh, Sam, because I know the whole point of this, Sam, is to try and turn you into a stand-up comedian. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, would you like Mark Olver's uh, secret advice uh, that I rarely share? I only share it with my <laughs> favourite people. <laughs> I would love I would love nothing more. Yeah, of course. Okay. This is a good one. This is a really good one, all right? So this is a little I can't bit wait. <laughs> a little bit sneaky, this one. So basically, a lot of comedians that you will see, um actually Fitz wasn't one of them, but Fitz will know who these people are. A lot of people, um, consciously or subconsciously, can't help but steal from other comedians. And I don't mean stealing stealing their jokes and stuff. They just get heavily influenced by the people that they that they enjoy. So they get heavily influenced by Russell Howard or Stuart Lee or Russell Brand or Michael McIntyre. And what happens there is that you get influenced by them and you can't help yourself. And then other people start comparing you to those comedians. That's fair, isn't it, Fitz? You would say that uh, there are comedians that, that you know who have been heavily influenced by other people? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, and uh, I think I think the whole issue or the whole notion of persona is a is a really interesting one. And you know, the the most successful comics, and I'm sure I expect you would agree as well. But the most successful comics are the ones who have a very clear kind of voice, a very clear uh, persona of who they are, and people who who you mentioned who perhaps are heavily influenced by and perhaps trying to be like said former comics you know it's not who they are and therefore yeah i, I couldn't agree more i think it's uh, it's quite evident that they're absolutely like that. so the way to do it is to steal and be influenced by comedians that no one has heard of so, <laughs> <laughs> because if you watch a lot of uh comedy from the 1950s and 60s if you watch a lot of uh Gregory or um, Jonathan Winters. Uh, if you uh, listen, if you're a comedy musician and you listen to Flanders and Swan, uh, or a monologist and you listen to Joyce Grenfell, um, you listen to any of these these people, uh, Nichols and May for sketches. Uh, if you listen to any of these people and you get influenced by them and you learn their lessons, actually. That's a really great way of learning because what you're doing, you're learning from someone incredibly different. Your your experience is not the people learning from uh, Peter Kay or Ricky Gervais. Uh, you're learning from someone who's basically, this is my tip, who only ever did their stuff in black and white. Wow. Because, Amazing. Um, because that stuff's harder to find. And also... Because the, the, the rules are the same, and if you if you break it down, so many of their skills are so similar and the techniques they use are so similar to now, but their references and even sometimes their language is so archaic that people might not realise. Um, so many more people than we realise as modern-day stand-ups have been influenced by Dave Allen, for instance, and... For some reason, Dave Allen was such a massive comic in the 70s and 80s. But for some reason, 
has never been kind of put into the same pantheon as some of the other classics like um like Billy Conley. But actually yeah. you look at what Dave Allen did and you look at how Dave Allen did it, if an open spot nowadays was a bit like Dave Allen, no one's gonna go, oh, he's a bit Dave Allen, isn't he? You know, they just wouldn't go. <laughs> That's such good advice. That is such sound advice. I um that's, that's a really good point because I've been kind of looking at like, you know, what kind of style of comedy do I want to do? What 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 will be my voice? Is it going to be, you know, am I going to get into prop comedy or, or like you say, like, you know, kind of musical comedy? Where, where am I going to go? So I look at the guys like Tim Vine and stuff, but actually I need to go earlier, don't I? You're, you're, oh, that's yeah, I mean, go all, the way, go all the way back to, uh, to Max Wall, go all the way back to, I mean, especially sort of like jokey jokes if you were going, you know, uh, sort of one-liner stuff and you go, mm. you go, yeah. I mean, look at uh, some of Woody Allen's 1950 stuff. Yeah, you can uh, – people nowadays might still do the sort of uh, the Woody Allen impression on stage, a little bit meek, a little bit uh, intellectual. But actually, if you look at the writing that he did, um, and a lot of those comics who came out in the 50s came out of writer's rooms for TV – so their writing was absolutely, uh, absolutely brilliant. And you go back there and, you know, you mix it up a little bit. So why not be influenced by Joan Rivers just because Joan Rivers is a woman? If, if you listen to her topics, her style, her voice, um, if a bloke... A lack of fear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All that sort of stuff. Because, um, uh, you know, comedy is... Comedy's really. Uh, you're a musician, Sam. And I don't know your particular background, but it would be very weird for modern day musicians to only be influenced by people who started making music after 1985. Yeah, that's very true. That's a very yeah, 100. Um, yeah, I guess my biggest inspiration would be the likes of like you know Jimi Hendrix and Elvis and people like that. So yeah, spot on. Yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't ever thought of that. Look at who. Yeah. Uh, Look at who Elvis and uh, the Beatles were influenced by. And, and you know, they always say about the Beatles, I'm reading this amazing book about the Beatles, tune in this giant, like, 1,500-page book about about them. And when you look at the fact that they lived in Liverpool and they were getting all the records off of American sailors coming over from America. So, actually, you know, we look at bands being influenced by the Beatles, the Oasis, what did... Um, Noel Gallagher once described himself as uh, someone said, "If you weren't in a, if you weren't in Oasis, what would you be doing?" He said, "I'd be in a Beatles cover band." But actually, some people think I'm already in a Beatles cover band. Um, <laughs> but you look at uh, you look at what influenced Oasis. It was the Beatles. But you look at what influenced the Beatles, and that was you know rhythm and blues from the early 1950s, uh, mid 50s in America, and. I don't know how many British bands would look at those influences now. And actually, probably loads do, and probably they should, really. Yeah, that's such a good point. I hadn't, I honestly hadn't thought of that. And um, that, yeah, I'm, I'm almost sorry that you had to give me that information on a, on a podcast because it's not so secret anymore. It's not. Um, but... <laughs> absolutely not. But it is, it's just when you start looking at some of that stuff and you start going back and you start realizing that. Um, stand up, stand up can just be uh, sort of what's the word? Not necessarily it doesn't change, but 
it can be really uh i'm trying to think of a word here there's a word in my head and obviously i've not been doing enough talking since i've been <laughs> in love but stand up can be basically be a constant do you know what i mean you can go back to um the 1800s or the early 2000s and see people that we've forgotten about, people like uh, musical people like Dan Lino. And although we wouldn't mm. get the references because they're talking about weird political stuff at the time, you only need to replace their politician with Boris Johnson and the joke is exactly the same, you know. Yeah, of course. That's um, that's a really fascinating kind of insight because, uh, and on that point in particular, you know, the the often the style not the style that's the wrong word but the the kind of structure of a joke you know so uh that that kind of um thing you mentioned there is 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 brilliant and how how interesting it must be there's there's loads of names there that i must admit i um am not familiar with so i i can't wait to go and kind of look up a little bit more obviously i've i've seen some lenny bruce um have you seen on amazon by the way the marvelous mrs Maisel? uh yes it's brilliant isn't it ah oh, fantastic it's- so good yeah, yeah. It's so, so good interesting about the marvelous mrs Maisel is that we love uh, i really like it i really like the uh the characters i really like the costumes i really like uh the lenny bruce bit um i love all of that sort of stuff but as a comic the bit i love and people never go on about this uh when they talk about mrs Maisel. there's a there's an episode i think it's in series one where she's trying to work out a set and there's a quick montage where she goes back to this club, uh, the club that her manager runs, and she goes back there again and again. And you see this really quick montage of her trying to come up with little toppers for jokes and the best way for um, the structure and the bit of language uh, to work. And that's always my favourite bit of comedy. My favourite bit of comedy is long car journeys with friends of mine where we literally spend an hour and a half trying to work out if that particular word is funnier than that particular word, or would it be yes. funnier if, if it if it was there in the joke or there in the joke? Like the minutiae when you get into it a little bit more um, is one of the other things that is the difference between the okay comics and the amazing comics. And so that bit in Mrs. Maisel where she's going on stage like every night in this montage, just trying to nail this perfect line for this perfect joke. That's one of the other things that I think makes uh, great comics. It's, it's a really good point. And it's actually something that I kind of can't, you know, I can't come to terms with that at the moment because as as like a, a musician, if we brand it like that, or a bass player, um, I can hear a song and I can oh, play can it. I, can, can I stop you for one moment? Did you just say a musician or a bass player? I was. I'm so glad you called him up on that because I was going to say the same. It's like well, if I brand myself as that. <laughs> well, it's uh, the purely reason for that is a running joke on the podcast is that uh, I, you know, I play bass and uh, oh, okay. whenever I introduce myself to a musician, Fitz always goes, "Well, ish." Um, <laughs> one time I do. I do a thing one time. Um, <laughs> I have a thing if I'm on a TV show and there's a five-piece band i'm always like ladies and gentlemen please welcome the four magnificent musicians and a drummer um (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but no it's it's really interesting because i can like learn a song at home and play it live and then if it's not quite right i can just go back and play it 30 times and it like kind of at home um but you can't do that with comedy 
you have to do it in front of an audience. There isn't, or, or like you say, with some friends, you can't, there's not really a such practice time at home, is there? No, you can no. Write... I... Sorry, after you. No, God, I was just about to say that I often say this to people and I've actually never been able to have a conversation with a musician, open brackets, bass player, close brackets, before. <laughs> um, so so this, I always say to people that you can't learn stand-up at home. And if, um, if you, I was to say to someone, uh, have you ever played the guitar before? And they go, no. And you go, well, I'll tell you what, grab this guitar, uh, go out in public uh, now, and I'd like you to play uh, an original song please <laughs> um, uh, it has to be good uh, the audience have to enjoy it um here you go this is a guitar no 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 you hold it that way up right <laughs> and um so you can't you can't learn comedy at home but what you can do is try and gig as much as possible in as many different places as possible to make the stage and comedy clubs feel like your home really Oh, yeah, what a wonderfully way. That's a really, really lovely way of putting it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it spot is on. lovely. It is lovely, fits, but it also does come with quite a, a an unlovely twist, which is mm. you should be able to reach a point sometimes uh, where, no offense to audiences, you do not give a shit about them because <laughs> you you have to have places where you know the joke you're working on isn't quite right. You know yeah. the joke you're working on isn't there yet. And so you you have to be in a position, basically you have to be in a position to fail. You know, you have to be in a position. Comedy is based on failure. Anyone who can't deal with failure, <laughs> it's not going to work for them because you have to fail. And yeah, you have to, you, you, what, what you, what you've alluded to there is, is kind of the Miss Maisel um, effect, I guess, of, of that, that being not just being one, not being willing to, but actually being desperate to work on a, a, a bit, a line, a, a word, a, a tweak to the point that, that it gets the desired effect. And then when it does, boom, that's brilliant. That's job yes. done for that well, one. And I've got a piece of material, which I do quite often, which is based on a true story. A hundred percent true story of being uh, in a car. I was uh, I supported Russell on tour a few years ago, and we were we would listen to Jeremy Vine on BBC Radio Two, and uh, when we would his tour manager was driving him around, and I would we would text into Jeremy Vine to see if we could get text read out on the radio. So whatever, <laughs> whatever the subject was, we would try and get a, a text on. And there was a subject once about noisy pets. And I texted in, hello, Jeremy, my neighbours have got a llama. Now the summer months are coming, it makes too much noise and I can't sit in my garden. Um, <laughs> and they, phoned me up. they phoned me back. They didn't read out the text. They phoned me back to see if I wanted to get on the radio and talk about it. Um, and I did. And I got on the radio and I, uh, over, I went into a service station. Um, I. I uh, was on a payphone. I got in to the radio. I talked about my neighbour's llama. At one point, Jeremy asked me to do an impression of the llama. Um, <laughs> I did an impression of the llama, and there was a vet in the studio with Jeremy, and the vet said, that, that's one of the best llama impressions I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> and as soon, as soon as it happened, I was like, 
oh my good god, I've just written five minutes of material. <laughs> you know, just by this <laughs> happening, how can I not make this happen? Yeah. And then when I got back to gigging again, um, it just didn't work. Just the story didn't work. The build-up was quite nice, and gradually I started getting little jokes along the uh, along the way. But um, I just couldn't make the payoff work because um, a little bit like when you do stuff about sex, uh, good sex is never funny. Bad sex is funny. Um, Successes are never funny. Failures are funny. Um, And I was on stage once at a gig, actually in Bath. It was uh, Wickham Social Club as part of the Bath Comedy Festival. And I've been trying this bit for ages and it won't work. And I was doing this weird cabaret night. And so I didn't mind too much how things work. And I did this story. And at the end, just for some reason, I genuinely don't know where it came from. Jeremy turns to the uh, the vet and says, what do you think of Mark's Lama impression? And rather than saying that's the best Lama impression I've ever heard, I said, the vet said, that's not a Lama, that's an alpaca. And, <laughs> um, and that was the bit that made the joke. That was the bit that, that made it work. Um, no. And there's lots of reasons behind that. And some of them are just things like, as I said, um, success isn't funny. But there's enough. Oh, this is a good. This is a question. We'll do this as a quiz. Can either of you work out another reason why that is funny? Uh, I've I've got one that jumped to my mind, but I won't jump in. Sam, have have a little think. I've I've got nothing, guys. Um, You go, Fitz, and I will see if I can find another one. So um, the cut sound of alpaca. Um, exactly. I, don't, I don't know what. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Harsh. Uh, for some reason, and I didn't know it until I said it out loud. Alpaca is a funny word, and part yeah, of yeah. it is because you've got those harsh consonants uh, that uh, that work really well. It's why so many swear words um, have just got the funnier swear words have got the harsh. Uh, consonants in them, the T's, the Kers, uh and piss is fairly funny, but not as funny, <laughs> but not as harsh. And alpaca just turns out to be a funny word. It definitely right? does. That's so interesting. I've never like hands up. Like I've we've had kind of one session about how to start in comedy for myself in kind of my learning time, um, and I've never ever thought and and never been told to even think about. What word you're using because of how they come across? Um, I just always thought that the joke was in the story, but that's such a good point, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, Gary, Gary Delaney has got kind of has got jokes that he's never used because the rhythm of the joke doesn't feel right, even yeah. if it's funny and it's a funny joke. There's something about the rhythm within it that just doesn't really fit. Um, and uh, and then no, don't get me wrong. Like the great thing about comedy is that, like, although there are some rules, the joy is that those rules can be broken and ignored and played with, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so, just for some reason, uh, every now and then, you'll hear a word and you'll go, "Oh, look at that! That's a funny word, isn't it?" <laughs> And what, oh, what, so what's, what's really interesting as well about the um, that alpaca bit, for example, is you could quite easily have tried that bit 
say two or three times three kind of is often the magic number for for comedians but you could have tried it three times and it wouldn't have worked and some comics that might just go in a bin and it would never get kind of thought of again but because you obviously went on stage and you you tried it and you built it and you kind of worked it and you met was it kind of like out of nowhere that you just like oh i'm gonna say alpaca yeah do you know what it was I, i can remember the gig i can remember what i was doing I can't for I can't remember why I said alpaca uh, rather than anything else. There there are certain times when I'm on stage, um, I I kind of I chat a lot. I do lots of comparing, but when I do sets, I can be quite loose sometimes as well. And just every now and then, um, I can uh, I can just say something that like just surprises me (laughs) i don't know know where it comes from i don't know i I often have to remember it or ask someone to remind me um because i'm sort of like we i mean i imagine you've had this conversation with other comedians uh on the podcast but it is uh it is a point and i imagine different people have different opinions on this Luckily, I'm quite funny. Like, uh, I'm, quite, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite a funny person, and so sometimes I just rely on the fact that I'm quite funny. Whereas other people in comedy um, have learned to be funny. Other people have learned how to do it. Other people have studied or whatever. Uh, for me, for my detriment, sometimes as well. I'm just sort of naturally quite funny. And that means often I don't work as hard as I should do, but sometimes (laughs) it does mean that I can accidentally have alpaca turn out to be a brilliant end for a joke. So we, um, uh, possibly the last time we gigged together was um, a a while ago at Comedia for the new material night. And you, you very kindly came along to, to close. And um, I I was probably weird, right? No, well, uh, interestingly, we mentioned it on the Compare episode a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you remember, Sam, but so I, I've always, whenever I've gigged with you, I've always, um, if you're comparing, I've always watched kind of how you do it and um, tried to kind of learn as 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 every comic should, you know. But um, I remember I was chatting to this guy who had tattoos. You may not even remember, but he had tattoos and I kind of had a bit of a conversation with him. It went all right, ended on a laugh and moved on. But when you were on stage, you had a chat with him and you ended up finding out so much about this guy. And you ended up finding out that he had a shark tattooed on his cock. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and then everyone, so everyone was like, brilliant. Like, how, how on earth have we found that? And then you asked, oh, well, but but what way is the shark facing? And and it was just just a <laughs> moment where, you know, you could have easily not had that conversation at all. And I just remember thinking, fuck, that's brilliant. You've got to be you've got to be able to just kind of roll with, roll with it. And, um, you know, yeah, that, that was, that was a great moment. <laughs> but also like, I remember, I saw, I remember the gig. Uh, I remember the tattoos. I don't remember asking that question, but I think it does sort of make sense, doesn't it? Because like you do, you do want to picture if the shark. <laughs> <fighting> <laughs> the exactly. Exactly. <laughs> because <laughs> some uh, so much of comedy is about listening you know so much of comedy is about actually and again to my 
to my benefit, but also my detriment as a comic sometimes, is that I'm always in the room. So I'm always there. I, I, I've never been able to uh, be a comic who can kind of uh, not necessarily go for the motions, but just be bulletproof and just send it out. Send it to the back of the room. Boom, boom, boom. I've never been able to do that. So it just means that if a gig is rubbish, although I'll try and make it better, I have to talk about the the things uh, distracting me in the room or I have to talk about the oddness in the room. And partly that's because I've never been as confident in my material as some other comics are because I am just, uh, frankly, just a bit of a bullshitter. Um, (laughs) So I do... I do enjoy the play. I enjoy that. And so, uh, yeah, when I get into a situation, when I find out about that, I am probably going to want to know what direction the shark is facing. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Um, So, Mark, let's let's kind of talk about TV warm-up, if we can. Yes. Um, Because before Fitz introduced me to you, I've got to be honest, I didn't even realise that was a thing. Um, so TV I mean, warm up no, at the moment is not a thing, mate. So uh... <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> that's very, very true. But so, so you, you alluded earlier to the fact that it's similar to kind of comparing, but it, it, there are it's a slightly different skill. So what what does it involve? What do you do? So basically, every time there's an audience for a TV show, there'll be a TV warm up, and uh, usually and mainly that is to get the audience up at the beginning. So. That audience would have been queuing up outside the TV studio for an hour and a half, sometimes four hours. Sometimes I'll be yeah. sat in the holding area. Sometimes I'll be sat in the studio while they wait for things to happen. And so you need someone to basically go out and just, just frankly, stop them looking grumpy. Now, <laughs> there's a difference between stopping them being grumpy and stopping them looking grumpy. I'm never going to claim that I'm going to cheer these people up. But what I am going to try and do is make sure that the director, producer, commissioners, talent, whoever, have got an audience who on camera um, look great, respond in the right way. And so that's one of the first things you do. You basically teach them how to be an audience, really. And you teach them how to be an audience by being funny. You teach them how to be an audience by by being a comic, by being a warm-up. Uh, you teach them how to respond to funny things by being funny. But you also teach them how to get, you want the particular noises. You want uh, what they call cutaways, which is basically shots of them laughing. Because if you think about it, if you've got seven cameras on a panel show and you've got Jimmy Carr and six contestants, those seven cameras are pointing at those people. Um you can't have seven cameras pointed at them and seven cameras pointing at the audience because that's just going to double your costs. And so what you do is uh, you spin the cameras back on the audience so when the panel show isn't happening, we can get those shots from them doing particular things so they can then edit it into the show later on. Um, So there's that, but there's also things go wrong. Things break, lights break. Uh, celebrities turn up late or need to have a wee Um, sometimes uh, if it's a sitcom you've got to go on every five minutes for four and a half hours because that's how long a sitcom can take to record so there's 
there's lots of different ways for a, for a TV warm-up to be, uh, but mainly it is just trying to be charming, but sort of being a host of a dinner party a bit, really. And how, how did you first get into it, if you don't mind me asking? Um, yeah, it actually happened not very long after I became a full-time comic. I... Um, uh, I was asked to do. I was asked to help some people uh, design a comedy club for a TV studio. Basically, they were doing a TV studio called Kings of Comedy, which was sort of big brother comedians in a big brother style house. They were filming it in Bristol. Uh, they wanted a set that looked like a studio. They knew I was regularly compare of uh, a gig in Bristol called Jesters, so they uh, they came down the Jesters with me looked at the gig, I got them in, talked about how gigs run, and then about a week later they said, oh, we, we actually need someone to help us do the warm-up on the night, if you fancy doing it. And that's, that was my first my first TV warm-up job. Wow. I am um, just slightly, slightly off off topic, I think, or on a tangent, let's say. Um, so I, one of my favourite um, comics is John Robbins. And I know, um, obviously, you guys know each other, um, yeah. but I also know that he, from, I think it was the podcast on Radio X, but he talks about um, doing the warm-up for Deal or No Deal and how it was a very short-lived thing, but that was something that you did as well, right? And I guess perhaps he, he, he was doing it as a favour for you or through you, is that right? Yeah, no, he, he got... Um, I sort of... I went in... Uh, it started in the October, and Stephen Grant and Jeff Whiting were doing the warm-up for it. Okay. Um, and there was a day or so, maybe three or four weeks into the run, where one of them couldn't do it, um, and I ended up doing it. Um, and then I got a couple more, and then by January, it was mine, basically. Amazing. <laughs> Like, uh, <laughs> uh, they went, oh, yeah, we'll get him to do it. Because, uh, oh, I mean, I'm just quite good at it. <laughs> like, I genuinely, <laughs> I, find, I find it a bit weird. I'm, I'm, I, I worry sometimes about coming across as uh, a bit arrogant. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, for, for some reason... I'm just good at it. Like it feels like it's a skill. It feels like it's a job that happens to fit into particular skill sets that I've got, um, which is kind of being a bit chatty, being a bit charming, not taking yourself too seriously, turning up on time. I'm quite a punctual person. Um, working in a team, like I like being a comic, but working in a team and a TV studio works for me. I don't really have the ego that some comics have in terms of wanting to be out there and dominate. And that's why I'm quite happy being a compare. And that's why warm up helps. So it just sort of, it turned out very early on that just one of them things I can do. And um, I mean, I, I've not seen you in action, but uh, obviously I've seen you compare and yeah, clearly, clearly you're very, very good at that. Um, so I imagine you're, well, you're not, what's the word I'm looking for? I, um, yeah, I don't think it's being, no, you're not sure. I don't, I don't think it's being arrogant to say that you're, you're good at it. You know, I think that's entirely fair enough. Um, I was going to say uh, on the, on the subject of, of that um, or, or kind of going back to material, I guess, um, 
do you find or i guess i guess how do you find material is, is something that certainly sam's going to be trying to to do do you have any little words of wisdom for that uh no fuck him um <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a tough world sam it's a tough world mate yeah that's it yeah yeah i'll just fuck it i'll quit <laughs> i'll stick the bass plan <laughs> okay so what i would say uh firstly and I don't know, and Sam mentioned this earlier, and I, I I don't know if I agree with it. I think it's cheating if Sam becomes a musical comic. I agree. I think Fair enough. Uh, I think it's uh I think if you can if you can write a, a song, you can probably write a joke. Um and so using the actual I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some, you know, very good musical comics out there and they are musicians i just think for this particular exercise i think it might be more interesting if sam has to commit to doing straight stand-up mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense how does that make you feel sam i can sense i can sense your sphincter twitching slightly but not <laughs> yeah it, it, it yeah. tightened it, it, it tightened when you said it thinking that i'm not gonna have a guitar to hide behind um but at the same time, I, I do have I have a weird ambition to to give it a go at like one liners. Okay, so this was going to be my next my next piece of advice, which was which isn't helpful for you because you want to do one liners. But I always remember when I when I started, one of the things you, you do is you try and remember your material, and I think yeah. one of the reasons that so much of my material and so much of so many people's material uh, is anecdotal is because if you do a story about your life and you forget the jokes you still remember the story and so therefore that's going to help you remember the jokes right yeah okay yeah yeah of course that's, so you're um... going out there with you know uh 42 one-liners you're going to have to remember how to present 42 one-liners whereas if you went out there talking about the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you when you were a kid, you, uh, even if you forget what you wrote, you're going to be able to have that memory of what happened to you when you were a kid. No, of course. Well, let's let's put it this way. In terms of what kind of style comedy I'm going to be, I'm very impressionable. And um, <laughs> that, that, that's very helpful to know that it, one line is, is going to be a lot tougher. So we'll probably leave that, leave that one in the bag. Well, I tell you what. So I mentioned it earlier. The uh, the Woody Allen thing. There's a, a famous Woody Allen album called Stand Up Comic, which I think was like 1955 or so. It's a very old album, and there are two bits of stand up on that. Um, there's one called uh, Moose, and there's one called Kidnapped. And those two bits of stand up are sort of considered by lots of people to be two of the best pieces of stand-up comedy ever written in terms of stand-up as a form because um although it's not a real story it's uh basically a linear story of something that happened but frankly didn't happen but is just a framework for shit loads of amazing jokes right got yeah yeah yeah, of course comic if you want to Go back to my thing about stealing from people who aren't that famous. Um, you don't just have to go old. There's a guy called Ben Moore 
who was a contemporary of Stuart Lee and Richard Herrings. I think he did a bit of their TV show back in the 90s. He's done a couple of Edinburgh shows. Um, and he's actually got a book called Super Collider for the Family. And in that book is an Edinburgh, is the transcript of an Edinburgh show called Sealer Camp. And it's a story. It's a story about professional tree climbing. But pretty much every single line of that story is a one-liner, if you can believe wow. that as a thing. Wow. Um, That's that. What a feat. So it, so I, can't re- I can't do it any justice whatsoever, but one of the characters, I think, Dad knew the musician Handel, which helped open loads of doors for him. You know, like... <laughs> Like that level of brilliant joke, but in the form of a uh, of a narrative. Jesus, yeah. I, um, do, do you remember um, speaking of um, Bristol? Do you remember Jack Heel? Yes. Who was, yeah. oh, I remember seeing him. So um, Jack Heel, Sam, I'll send you a link to um, to some of his stuff. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's a certainly a, a well, he was a medical student, so he's probably a medical genius now. But he did exactly that with his writing. He would have such wonderful world wordplay within the kind of form of narrative. I'm definitely going to check out Ben Moore because I must admit I'm not familiar with with him. Yeah, no, he mainly did. Um, he mainly did Edinburgh shows. Uh, but uh, he's uh, he's done bits of acting as well, so you'd recognise his face. Uh, oh, from- that sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, I need to. So what Fitz has done very kindly whilst we've been talking, all of these people that you've kind of mentioned and you you, you had ideas of, he's put on our shared note on our phone, so it's pinging up saying. <laughs> so I've got quite a long list now that I need to learn and check out. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, thank you for all those suggestions. Oh no, um, I mean I am. Uh... I am an absolute like comedy nerd. Like I just can't, uh, I just can't help it. Um, but it's what just, it's what keeps you going when you're like that, doesn't it? It's like when you've got something that you love and you you're so passionate about. It's the reason you still do it. Like that's that's what makes you kind of get up and go out and do it. Like same for me and music. It's just you know I, I wouldn't want to sit here and do nothing. I would rather be playing an instrument uh, as I'm sure you would rather be kind of watching or doing or performing some, some a comedy piece. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But you know what? It's, it's everything. I always think, I know, uh, I know Fitz like his football. Do you like your football as well, Sam? I used to, um, I support Middlesbrough. Um, okay. and which is why he doesn't really probably, anymore. <laughs> yeah. I kind of love to hate it just because, you know, I love, Loved Middlesbrough back in the early early noughties, um, and then things just got from bad oh, to worse. Ravenelli uh, times, yeah, exactly, yeah, Ravenelli, and then to Viduca and places like that. And, uh, but the love, you've lost the love a little bit for it. Yeah, just yeah, Middlesbrough have kind of they've they've killed my heart a little bit. <laughs> um, so I'm waiting for magic to happen. Um, probably probably won't. <laughs> I always think the thing about football is that I'm a big football fan. Fitz is you uh, used to love uh, football until uh, when you just loved uh, Janino, basically. But so <laughs> yeah. people, uh, people who love football really love football. They love, they're passionate about their club. They're passionate about watching the game. They absolutely love the game. But I have, I am convinced that 
even those of us who watch every, Sky Plus match of the day, love everything about football, I'm absolutely convinced that we only know 10%, 20% tops of the way being a footballer really is. Yeah, yeah. The way uh, yeah, clubs run within themselves, the way training is done, the way, you know, like I'm convinced that no matter how much you love football, if you're a football fan, you don't really know. Well, we don't know the names of the main agents. We don't know the names of, you know, the main places that people train. Whereas people in comedy know the names of all the agents. They know how people are connected and... And I think that's the same with a knowledge of a football and the knowledge of comedy. If you are a professional footballer, you know that in training you run all these drills where you can play a blind pass behind you because that's the passage of the play where your fullback will be overlapping and running on. Whereas if we tried to do that playing football in the park, we're just like absolute idiots, right? <laughs> <laughs> One one thing you have done there is oh my god I cannot wait for football to come back that's a whole other <laughs> conversation but oh my god I'm literally just listening to you going yes fullbacks overlapping yes but imagine imagine if me imagine if the three of us were playing uh, a game there were me <laughs> me Fitz and Sam we were against three other uh, comedians and we're in a park and we're just about to play <laughs> and I went up to both of you and go okay just to let you know. Uh, this passage of the play is the one where Fitz overruns, uh, runs out from fullback, and Sam goes into. And you'd look at me and you just go, "What are you talking about?" We're literally. We're pressing today. We're gegen pressing, and you'd go, "Stop talking." <laughs> we're just having a laugh. But when you start doing stand-up, things like the alpaca K, things like pullback and reveals, things like mm. um, just all the things that you collect from doing stand-up is the same car, as car journey. Car journeys when you spend loads of time, you know, as you said earlier, kind of just going over a tiny little joke, that, that kind of thing, right? Absolutely. But you know what? Everyone's got it. Musicians have got it. Yeah. Bakers have got it. People who sell insurance have got it. Everyone who is really good at their job has got the skills that we as people who love it don't really know. We don't really uh, we don't really understand it as much. And and so unfortunately with stand-up, because it seems so accessible, and it is so accessible, that's the joy of it, is that at the beginning people can think, oh hold on, why aren't I doing very well? Or the audience can go, oh why isn't that person not doing very well? Because you need to do it for a year. You need to do 100 gigs. You need to... Adam, The great comic Adam Bloom said to me, don't even worry about your voice, in inverted commas, until you've done 100 gigs. You know, just keep doing it. Yeah, that's so, it's so true. And that's that kind of seems to be some of the most solid advice that I've got is that, you know, it, you're not going to... It, it's comedy is not something that you can get right every time. Um, it, it's something that you, you, you slog at to, to make sure that you're kind of you're on your game yeah absolutely it's a proper um it's it can be really uh not arduous because it's not because it's not physical work but you know like like so many things it's it's repetition uh, did, did you ever see any of those 
when Prince died, and there were there was footage of him. Uh, there was one footage. I think it was at a George Harrison memorial concert, playing the guitar, and like he was just someone who could do everything, but also do everything with the utmost ease possible. Yeah, of course. And that's because yeah. Prince like started making music when he was about seventeen, and yeah. did it pretty much every day of his life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, there's um, there's one song from Prince that I know that he didn't add bass to, and it was the happiest day of his life that he managed to put out a song that had no bass line in it, and he could just fill it with other instruments, and he was just so like so so excited. So I can only imagine that kind of that same style of passion if you can bring that over to comedy and just think to yourself you know well i've got this idea of a joke and then it's finally works it just it clicks and that's why you love it yeah absolutely but you know that whole it's quite a famous malcolm gladwell thing about ten thousand hours that if you do something for ten thousand hours you'll master it and he always uses the beatles in hamburg as the example but actually You can use the Beatles and Hamburg as an example. You can use Prince as an example. Or you can use the person who makes uh, sausage rolls down at Hart's Bakery underneath Bristol Temple Mead as an example. Because if they'd done 10,000 hours of their sausage rolls, they'd made some very funny <laughs> sausage rolls. And, and all of those skills are, are as valid as each other, I think, because I love effort. I love work. And I love passion for football, music, comedy, or you know pastry i love it all one of my one of my um i I would say you're one of the people that i see on twitter quite frequently uh, which i love and we'll come on to in a moment one of the things that we're i'm seeing a lot of at the moment but i would say roughly 10 percent of your tweets mention hearts bakery and i flipping love hearts bakery that's one of the things i miss about being in bath and bristol more than anything it's incredible ah Yeah, I know. It really is. I'm sorry for bringing back all these lovely memories that you can't have. There will come a time. There will come a time where I can uh, go back up to Bristol. For sure. Um, So, I mean, I I guess that kind of leads, leads nicely on to how you've been spending lockdown. So, I mean, I... I know from 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 knowing you how kind of busy you've been, but would you mind sharing a little bit about what you've been up to? Uh, I guess in lockdown, really, if that's cool. Yeah, masturbating, just a lot of masturbating, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, loads of it. Um. Oh, are you talking about some of the charity stuff? <laughs> oh yeah, there's. Oh, you did charity stuff as well. Oh, cool, yeah, nice. Yeah, let's find <laughs> out about that, man. That'd be great. <laughs> a masturbating marathon. <laughs> absolutely sponsor me 10,000 um, hours <laughs> 10,000 hours that's all man um, I uh, yes so in lockdown I have been making a panel show because uh, I do the warm up for so many panel shows I wanted to do something where I just tried it really and I'm working with a TV producer and we got this format and we put that on YouTube the other thing, and which is really fun, it's really fun to do, and really other, good as well, really good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, we're really chuffed with some of the guests that we, we we're able to get. Um, uh, it's uh, it's ace, and I'm really happy with it. Um, and then the other thing that I do, um, well, did, uh, is, so I do this thing in January every year, and I'm trying to spread it around the country, and I think we will. Uh, Betty Laos, which is I'm putting 
comedy clubs in restaurants in January when they're quiet get money for the com- for the restaurants uh, and they get the food and then the punters pay about a tenner for the comedy and that goes straight to charity. And we'll do that again in January and maybe we'll do it again when restaurants are reopened as a way of getting people back into restaurants, giving them a little bit of a kick up the bum uh, to start going out again. But because no one can go out at the moment, I came up with this idea. I, I, I came up with it from coming up with it to doing it was about two weeks, which was Betty Laughs Online, which was basically a celebration of Bristol, a celebration of the city I live in, raising money for four charities with lots of other comedians uh, and lots of other people sending in stories, facts, songs, skits, all about the city that we love. Um, and we did that last week and we made about £37,000, which was absolutely... We set the target at five grand and we made thirty-seven. So That's um, mad. I think that's a fair success. Congratulations, mate. That's huge. What yeah, an effort. We did one in Cardiff uh, last night and the the format in the loosest possible sense. Um, we're going to do one in Lancashire. Uh, Devon. You know, we've we've time. got one in Devon being planned. We're, we're hoping to do one in Devon, Yorkshire, mm-hmm. but also opening it up um, to uh, football, theatre, music. Because I don't know if you've been watching lots of or any of the sort of online streamed gigs uh, for comedy, I don't necessarily think they're they're all incredibly successful because I think there's something about stand-up as a form actually works with the dialogue between uh, performer and audience. And I think that's lost a little bit at the moment on uh, online. I think there are ways to get around it, but we've looked at, uh, how maybe some of the things that we could we could do to get around some of those problems. And I, my lodger and friend is a great comic called Matt Ewins. Oh, I um, flipping love Matt! Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, we uh, we talk a lot about the way things. He's a very tech comic as well, so he knows his stuff. Mm. And we talk a lot about how things look and how things feel and pacings of things and all that sort of stuff. And we uh, we basically came up with this idea, get loads of people to send in videos, make the videos two or three minutes long. If we think they need a punch-up in the edit, we'll give them a little punch-up in the edit. We play those out while I stream live from my front room and react to everyone. And it, it worked. It really worked. And the show in Cardiff was great last night. The show in Manchester, I mean... If they get the Lancastrian people that they've got, or they could that they have a list for, or they have possibly able to get, that show will just be insane. <laughs> have a think in your head of celebs, musicians, and comedians who live in the Lancashire area. I was literally just thinking that. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's absolutely insane what they could achieve uh, when they do that. So that's really exciting. And so, so yeah, so that's been my sort of, that's been my thing for lockdown, really, just keeping myself busy and trying to do good things for people. 
And when um, on the subject of belly laughs, I know it's been going a few years. When when did that all get started? So I did the first belly laughs gig in January the seventh, two thousand and eighteen, and I came up with the idea for it on <clears throat> December twentieth, two thousand and seventeen. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I came, yeah, I, I came up with that idea while doing the warm-up for uh, the Channel 4 show, Big Fat Quiz of the Year. Um, A very long show, a very long record. And I came up with this idea, went on social media, went on Twitter. And by the end of the show, I'd already had the idea planned, uh, the structure planned, um, and a couple of venues lined up as well. Uh, And and so we've gone on from there. And again, we'll try and do some, some more physical versions of that. And it's basically putting on putting on gigs in places that shouldn't have comedy. And and actually, Sam, this is another thing for your notebook. Have you got your special over page of your notebook? <laughs> I have indeed, yeah. It's, it's a note on my phone, but so it's a bit tech, more techy. No, this is, uh, this is my... These are all new bits of advice that I've learned in the last couple of weeks, linked to Betty Laughs Online, but also I think it's right for comedy. You know, when, when someone says to you, Sam, about... You've heard the phrase, the secret of comedy is timing, right? Yeah. You've heard that phrase. We've all heard that phrase. Um, and we know what that phrase means, right? We know that it means the the comedic pause or the, the rat-a-tat-tat of a comic. You know, that's what you think it means, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it doesn't mean that. The secret of comedy <laughs> of timing... Uh, what it really means is uh, do it and fuck off as quickly as possible. That's the secret. <laughs> um, whatever you do, get in, do it, get out. Uh, <laughs> comics, audiences don't mind bad comedians. They just mind bad comedians who are going to take up too much of their time. You have to be... <laughs> You have to be a brilliant stand-up to be able to keep people occupied for an hour or an hour and a half. You have to be a brilliant stand-up to be able to do a 45-minute set in a club. Um, Whereas, actually, it's all about pace. It's all about, boom, get in, get out before they've noticed you. You know, it really is. um, Yeah, it's all about pace. Do not hang about. That's so good. You definitely haven't hung about. As I say, the the turnaround time for for those belly laughs is is monumental, and and it feels like it's been going much longer than than two years, uh, which is yeah, I know. And we did. We organised. I came up with the idea for belly laughs online in the middle of the night uh, on a Friday night, just over two weeks ago. Um, and I woke up needing a pee because that's what you do when you get to your 40s and at about 4am and 30s don't worry and, 30, and I had this idea and I went to bed and when I woke up the idea was still with me um, and I woke up on the Friday and by the Saturday morning I'd had uh, four charities involved uh, loads of comics involved I'd had a website built like I'd had a website Sam Healer uh, the great uh, local comic is also a tech genius, built me an uploader website in, in less than 24 hours. Wow. Um, 
on the Saturday afternoon, we'd done a pilot of it to make sure that the tech and everything had worked. So, yeah, just over 24 hours after coming up with the idea, it was advertised, it was out there, uh, and it was ready to rock and roll. Oh, I do not... uh, uh, Timing, mate. You know, we go back to fullbacks. It's all about time. It's all about pace. That's what you want. Pace. Nice. That's so good. What a great bit of advice. Just get in. Your first one, you're going to be shit. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Don't hang about, mate. Do not hang about. That's so good. Mr. Olver, um, thank you so much for today, man. I'm, I'm, I would happily chat to you all day, but we've we've taken up over over an hour of your time. But um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really nice to talk to you again. It's been it's been ages, and um, yeah, huge well done for for all the work that you're you're doing and, and continue to do. And thank you for your help with with Sam as well. I'm sure you're no, over page. Uh, I'm really excited. I'm now trying to work out if when the gig actually happens if the best case scenario is Sam does absolutely brilliantly or whether it'd be really funny if he dies on his ass. And I can't work out. Sorry. I was just going to say Scott Bennett, um, we interviewed a couple of weeks ago and he said that I've got an easier task because if I can go on stage and tune a guitar, then I'll get a round of applause. Uh, so the pressure's off for me, but yeah, we, we don't want to see Sam die on his ass, but equally it would be it'd be entertaining, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, how long have status quo been going on? What three chords? There yeah, too 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 long, too long. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole yeah. different podcast. That is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't even get me started on the the telecasters and the three chords. You're absolutely <laughs> right. and yeah and we'll uh, and we'll talk very soon so we um we will point everyone in your direction both for emergency broadcast comedy and for all the belly laughs stuff on twitter um but yeah it's been an absolute pleasure mark thank you so much and uh enjoy the rest of your day you legend mark over mark over everybody that was oh that was just incredible wasn't it Mate, what a what a lovely guy, um, and B, just what an interesting guy. You know, so many um, kind of comics that I have heard names of, and I guess perhaps you wouldn't have even heard their names. Um, mm. For for you to well, for us both to go and have a little look at, and just great advice, lovely. T- I could have chatted to him all day. Yeah, I totally agree. And what I tell you what, I'm going to pinpoint that bit of advice. Actually, what a great bit of advice that is. You know, don't necessarily go out and try and be like those people that are kind of out there now and doing their stuff now don't emulate them go back and do some research into the earlier ones and kind of get some bits from them uh you know, again not taking jokes but just kind of you know look at their mannerisms and the way they they put out put out the comedy um i think that's such a impactful bit of advice for anybody that's trying to get into comedy right now yeah exactly and i think that you know to draw inspiration from from people who history remembers but perhaps people that you know they're they're clearly not in the in on the circuit at the moment so you can't offend them by kind of taking their style and you know the stand-ups that are performing today obviously learned from their predecessors you know so i think i think it was really really interesting to talk to him i think the work that he's done in lockdown with emergency broadcast comedy which do go and check that out because it's a they're really fun little panel shows and he's had some some incredible guests on rachel paris james acaster um 
Sarah Millican, Gary Delaney, I think were on them as well. So he's had mm. a, a real who's who of, of, of great comics already. And, you know, I hope that it's something that he'll continue because uh, I say this not knowing much about TV production, but hopefully it's not too kind of difficult for them to, to make and hopefully they carry it on because I thought it was wicked. Really love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And um, so Fitz, at the, the intro, you alluded to something very, very cryptic. Do, 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 do. fanfare please um <laughs> <laughs> i did i did i did so um yeah belly laughs which is the thing that mark came up with um uh, just a couple of years ago incredibly um it has really really taken off and he mentioned that when we recorded they'd just done one the night before in cardiff and he's looking to get it in a few other places well ladies and gents um a musician exclusive for you um we are going to be, Sam and I are both going to be involved with as well in some small way, uh, in Belly Laughs Devon at home, uh, which is going to be a celebration of all things Devonian. Um, must hmm. remember to order some scones or scones. Do you say scones or scones? Uh, it changes depending on who my company is. Nice. So in our dear listeners company? Uh, I'm going to go with scone. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, We swear um, on this pod, so I'm going to go with scone. <laughs> okay nice um so yeah i've i think that there'll probably be someone um putting jam on first or cream on first whichever one the devon one is i can't remember um, i never I'll, know <laughs> i'll google that before um but yeah so the, the hope is that it will be a, a mishmash you know of some really some really cool content and ultimately the aim of the game is to raise as much money as we can for um for local charities so keep an eye out um i think the twitter is at belly laughs dev dev for devon um and certainly if not then we will be sharing the um link and profile and information from our musician um socials as well if you want to go and check out mark olver which i i i'm sure you do he's an absolute legend um where where can you do that sam uh so he is at mark olver everywhere as far yes, as we is. can tell <laughs> yeah mark olver m-a-r-k-o-l-v-e-r like oliver but without the i um i'm sure lots and lots of people have made that point um but, but yeah it's it was just fascinating you know and it was it was really nice to chat to him like i say he did so much to help me in my in my early career and um, the little gigs he talked about and the little things he mentioned um uh, you know that was that was where i first got into comedy and doing those weird little gigs in weird little pubs and you know that's really where you learn the craft and yeah so it was it was fascinating to to chat to him again and really yeah just really inspired me to to get ready and you know jump back into comedy as soon as, as soon as we can 100% yeah well look, thank you thank you very much uh to you Mark and 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 to you Fitz for today and to you dear sir thank you um so as as we record i'm gonna go now and um see my little girl for a little bit and then go and do this goddamn virtual gig later on so um we will let you know how that went on next week's pod dear listener Mm, try not to flop i will do my best (laughs) right see you soon mate love you bye see you soon love you bye goodbye dear listener thank you for listening Music was Gangster Life by Dirty Blueprint. This podcast was brought to you by Fitz and Sam. See you next week.